Good to see you guys. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a great weekend already, right? Amazing. Just to get together, to be here. Don't take it for granted. What a privilege to come together and worship and pray and acknowledge that God is good. It's awesome. Well, hey, just over 10 years ago, there was a young girl named Hosanna who... um grew up on the streets of San Francisco. Her dad led a ministry to those who were homeless and addicted in the Tenderloin area of San Francisco. She saw the first person murdered in front of her when she was nine years old. She grew up on the streets. And later, after high school and then college, she felt compelled to share the good news of Jesus through spoken word poetry. And so she packed up a couple suitcases, got in her Toyota Corolla, and began to travel across the country, literally living in her car, performing anywhere they would allow her to perform, living rooms, backyards, celebrate recoveries in churches all across the country. Um, and somewhere in the midst of all that, Hosanna's path crossed with uh, my wife Lori and I's path, and we just fell in love with her. And with her heart and her willingness to do anything. You know, you see a lot of Instagram posts about the grind. But I'm going to tell you, Hosanna Hosanna's one of those people that puts the work in. Right? And so she was traveling all over the country doing these spoken word things, poetry and all that. And then somewhere along the way, she came to Central and um, right here at the Henderson location in the rotunda, she crossed paths with a young man named Guy. Guy was one of our, uh, our pastors on staff. He had worked in the youth and then led several of our congregations, and they fell in love, and the rest is history, and they got married, and Hosanna went on, and here's what I want you to know. The platforms got bigger. She wasn't living in her car anymore. Pretty soon she was speaking on some of the biggest platforms and some of the biggest arenas in our nation, and God opened more and more doors for her. She's just come out with a brand new book called How Not to Save the World, which um, I'm so proud of. Not only is it amazing, and I want to encourage everyone in our central family to pick it up, and those of you that don't read, you can get the audio book. Hello. Um, you can just go to central.family, and the link's right there. You can just click it. It'll take you right to Amazon. You'll be hooked up. Two clicks. Um, but I've loved this book, and I actually think it's a message that the church needs today, we need today. And so I am so thrilled uh, to have as a guest speaker here at Central this weekend, somebody that we claim as our own, somebody that we take credit for, y'all. Come on. She's family. She's family, so let's treat her like family. Give it up big for my friend, Hosanna Wong! Central family, I am so thrilled to be with you all today. It was actually 10 years ago this year, the first time I came to Central Church, and I met a really good-looking guy named Guy. 
and started dating him. And then I met Lori Wilhite, who became one of my very best friends in the whole world. And I met Judd Wilhite, who became one of my greatest teachers and mentors. And seven years ago, Judd actually married my husband and I. Can I show you guys a picture of us? Me, Judd, and Lori, my husband. We did it, family, we did it. <laughs> and I just wanted to share that with you all because we've been in this series together called We Are Family, which is kind of this mix between the word friends and family, just representing how you know we're meant to do life together. That's what the church is all about, doing life together in community. And this community is really special. We've really gone through a lot together. You guys have fought through a lot together. And I also wanted to share with you that I've met some of the most important people in my life here. Because I want you to know that all of us together in this room today, we all have something in common. We all want this to go really well right now. <laughs> I am so thrilled to be sharing with you all today. My name is Hosanna Wong, and today I want to tell you a story about a woman named Mrs. Lee. Mrs. Lee was the wife of a dentist in her 60s. And one day she was doing her chores like she did every evening and heard a knock at the door and she went to answer. And there was a young boy standing there asking if he could sell her a vacuum cleaner. I don't know if you knew this, but back in the day, door-to-door -door salesmen were the original Instagram influencers. <laughs> Did you know this? They went door-to-door, -door, they showed you how to open up the box, put it on, they got it done. She got a vacuum cleaner, she gave an invitation to come inside her home brought him to her dining room table. They had a conversation and she asked him about his life. And this man said that he had actually been a heroin addict for 15 years. He had fought in a Chinese gang. There were men who were out to get him, women who feared him. He had bullet holes alongside his calves from running from the police from the last time he robbed someplace. And he admitted that he was pretty sure that he could never change his life around. And Mrs. Lee, responded with no shock and she responded with no shame and instead of pointing out all the things in their lives that were very different and there were many she found the thing that they had in common and she said you know what I've also had a void in my life that I've sought for years to fill I've also gone to all these other places and all these other people trying to find the answers to my questions and then I found Jesus and Jesus has filled that void in my life. And I've never had more hope. And I've never had more joy. And I've never had more peace. And I haven't done it perfectly. But as I've had this ongoing conversational relationship with him, I'm becoming a little bit more like myself. A little bit more like him. And I know the answer to the question you and I have been having our whole lives. Do you want to change your life? And he said yes. And it wasn't this super cosmic spiritual moment. It was a salesman on one knee on a cold dining room floor, but he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And Mrs. Lee did not know on that small, ordinary day that five years later, that boy would grow up to be a man who would plan outreach to those living without homes and battling with addictions on the streets of San Francisco and end up leading hundreds and thousands of people to Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. And Mrs. Lee did not know that over 30 years after that, I'd get to be at Central Church telling you about the day she led my daddy to Jesus Christ.
That's right. God is still in the business of changing and transforming lives. I don't know if Mrs. Lee ever led someone to the Lord before that time. And I don't know if she ever did after that. But I know she opened the door for this one man this one time. And my whole life is different because of that. And for me, the story of Mrs. Lee, when I heard this story growing up, it changed everything for me because I grew up seeing my dad with this crazy, extraordinary story of how Jesus changed his life. I saw him on the streets of San Francisco leading hundreds and thousands of people battling with addiction to Jesus Christ. He'd pray over someone, and then like 10 years later, they'd like come back a deacon in the church, an owner of a woman's home, a father, a mother, a renewed soul. I know he's led more people to Christ than I will ever know. So because I saw my dad do all these extraordinary things, I grew up believing that I had to do something big to do something important. I grew up believing that I had to do something impressive to do something impactful. And then one day I asked my dad, who led you to Jesus? Thinking it would be as something as spiritual and beautiful as the moments I witnessed on the streets. You know, something with glitter. I don't know, those were the days of Lisa Frank stickers and Mariah Carey songs, so glitter was big. And he just told me about a woman who made an invitation and had a conversation and shared her story. And I realized that believing that I had to do something big in order to do something important was a lie. It was a lie the enemy wanted me to believe so I didn't see the value of loving the people right in front of me. In fact, I have believed so many lies that have held me back from loving people right in front of me, from stepping into my purpose, from stepping into my calling. And my guess is that many of us have too. I wonder if you've ever believed any of these lies, lies like God can never use my story. My story's a mess. My story is too different or my story is not different enough. Lies like, there's too much shame in my story. My background is too crazy. If I started telling people about Jesus, they'd think I was a hypocrite because they know how I used to live. Lies like, some people are called to talk about Jesus, and that's great, but I am not skilled enough, smart enough, or spiritual enough to seal the deal. Lies like, I'm scared if someone asks me questions, I might not have all the answers, and I don't want to mess this Jesus thing up. So maybe it's better if I just don't talk about Jesus at all. And the enemy hopes that we believe each and every one of these lies so that we never step into what God is calling us to do because he knows that believing all of these lies is the perfect plan of how not to save the world. Believing all these lies is the perfect plan of how not to show God's love to your family members, to your coworkers. Believing all these lies is the perfect plan of how not to show hope to a world that desperately needs it. So of course he wants us to believe all of these lies that you're ill-equipped, that you're unqualified, that your story isn't good enough, that you can never lead someone to Jesus in your everyday life because he knows the power of your position and he knows the power of your story. That's why he's trying to lie to you. And I know this because I am an expert at how not to save the world. I have done this so wrong. I have been so aggressive about my faith and then I've also been so silent about my faith. I've been so pushy in my relationships, and I've also wanted to give up on some of my relationships. 
I've believed that there are some people in my life and in my family who will just never come to know Jesus. So what's the point? And that is a lie the enemy wants us to believe. What I want to talk about to our central family today is the truth about how we can reveal God's love in our everyday lives. Even in 2021, we can reveal God's love. And what we got to talk about, when we talk about sharing about Jesus or sharing God's love or talking about what God's doing in our lives, what we have to acknowledge is that many of us in this room, whether you're new to this church thing or new to this God thing or you've been here for a long time, many of us have seen Jesus talked about or shared about so very wrong, haven't we? We've seen people be mean. We've seen people be aggressive. We've seen people be condescending and judgmental. And we know we don't want to do that. We know that's not how Jesus treated people. And also, we like having friends. So when we see Christ followers being mean or aggressive, many of us just want to quote the great poet Ariana Grande and say, thank you, next. But just because we've seen it wrong doesn't mean we can't be the ones to do it right. So what I want to talk about is the truth. Through faithfully studying God's word and just stumbling through my own flawed progress, I want to expose to our church the truth about how we can reveal God's love in 2021. Because I believe that God is so gracious that there is a way for every single person in our lives to know how loved they are by God. We don't want to believe the lie that we have to do something big to do something important. If you've ever believed that lie like I have, you know how this feels. I would think to myself, what do I do if my skills are not obvious? If I can't do what my dad's doing? If my platform isn't booming? If I'm not sure how to connect to people? I've looked at the life of Mrs. Lee and I discovered three things that she did going about her ordinary life and her ordinary routine to show God's love to my dad. Here are three things that Mrs. Lee did that we can learn from today of how we can reveal God's love to the people right next to us. We can, one, make invitations. We can have conversations. And we can share our story. You can make invitations, have conversations, and share your story. That's exactly what Mrs. Lee did with my dad. And Mrs. Lee isn't the only person who lived that way. Jesus also lived that way. When Jesus came to our earth and was showing us like also how to live when we were here on earth, Jesus was constantly having relationships with people even before they changed their behaviors. Even before they chose Jesus, Jesus chose them. And Jesus was constantly making invitations, having conversations, and sharing stories. In fact, we read a story in the Bible of a man named Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was up in a tree. It's a whole thing. We don't have the time to get into it right now. Homie's up in a tree. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, get down from there. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, a snake in a snitch, who was taking more money than he was supposed to take and keeping it in his pocket, even from his own family members. People did not trust Zacchaeus. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going over your house, and we're going to have a meal together. We see Jesus doing this all the time. We see it again in Matthew 9. He sees a guy named Matthew, also a tax collector, with a terrible reputation that people did not like. And Jesus said, Matthew, we're going to go have a meal together. And the religious people of Jesus' day 
the people who knew the perfect plan of how not to save the world, they did not like that Jesus was having all these friendships everywhere. They wanted Jesus to be a tyrannical leader who would enforce religion. But Jesus didn't come to enforce religion. Jesus didn't even come to start a religion. Jesus came because a bunch of us were broken and he came to be the solution. Jesus actually came to make a bunch of friends and then set all of his friends free. Even Jesus's haters define Jesus by his relationships. In Luke 7, we see the religious people say, look at him, he's a friend of sinners, as if it was the world's worst insult. But to Jesus, it was a sign of success because it was the very mission he came to fulfill. Jesus was known for his relationships and he wants us to be too. What if the call that comes from God is not a rigid mandate to convert? What if it's an invitation to start and continue authentic relationships? How would the world look a little different? Now you may be thinking to yourself, we can't just go and have a bunch of friends. Friendships don't lead people to Jesus. We can't just go ye therefore and make a bunch of friends. We gotta talk about Jesus. We have to preach the good news. And that's fair. We will get there. But first we must start here. Because why would the people we're talking to believe us that the God we're talking about wants to know them if we don't even wanna know them? If we are not careful, we will aim to save a world while skip knowing the very world we claim we want to reach. So how can we have authentic relationships? And what does that look like? We've been going through a series called We Are Family, going through Acts 2, talking about how we're made to do life in community. We become more of ourselves and the best version of ourselves when we keep coming in a community of believers, when we keep coming back to church. And then we talked about worship, how worship brings us closer to God. And when we worship together, it changes things. And this is what happens when we make invitations and have conversations and share our stories in our everyday lives, this is what happens. This is what happened in Acts 2, 46 and 47. Every day they met together in the temple and ate in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. We see it was through relationships with people, real relationships with real people. Now going to your friends, kids, soccer games and going out to Pizza Hut with them afterwards may not result in them going to church with you the next weekend. Sure, squeezed out Capri Suns and melted ice coolers in the hot, hot Vegas sun may not be as picturesque as people coming to Jesus in arenas, but your friends are not in those arenas. They're at their kids' soccer games. And what kind of door would your relationship open with them for them to know what it's like for someone to be with them, for them to know what it's like for someone to be for them, even if they don't give anything back to you. You accepting an invitation from your neighbors, though them inviting you over feels all the time inconvenient and you're pretty sure they've been hurt by church and they would never want to have anything to do with religion. So you're thinking because I can't see the end result, perhaps this relationship doesn't matter. I wonder what kind of door it would open for you to have an authentic relationship with them, for them to know what it's like for someone to be with them and for them. Church, don't let ordinary 
stand in the way of you being obedient. And don't let results stand in the way of starting and continuing authentic relationships. Who knows what kind of door your relationship would open? Who knows who you're opening the door for next? So how do we cultivate true connection with people? Where do we begin? Because I think for some of us, we want people to know how loved they are. We want to make invitations, even a simple invitation to church, even a simple conversation, talking about coming to church, even sharing your story. We want to make invitations, have conversations, and share our stories. But for many of us, there's people in our families who are far from God, people we love, people we're close to, co-workers who don't yet know God, and we don't know how to talk to them about anything, much less church, much less God. How do we connect with them? How do we fight for the people we love, some that we've been fighting for for a very long time? I want to share with you a story that I, I've never shared before. I got the permission from my baby brother Elijah to share it as we're launching this brand new book that just came out this week. And I want to share with you one of the most important stories in my life about my baby brother when I was 18 years old, my daddy, my best friend, my hero who led all those people to Jesus on the streets of San Francisco, when I was 18 years old, he, he got cancer and he passed away. And my baby brother Elijah was 12. And Elijah shut down emotionally. He wouldn't talk about anything, much less my dad, much less God. And I ministered to Elijah so wrong. <laughs> I was very, very bad at it. I didn't have any of the right words to say. I kept telling him, God's going to use your testimony one day. Don't be sad. Don't be depressed. Come to church. Come on. Where's your faith? To my 12-year-old little brother who misses his dad. And I was so mad at Elijah that he wasn't seeing the world the way I was seeing the world. I was so mad at him that he wasn't healing up as fast as I needed him to heal up. And I realized that when I would call him, because I was seven hours away at college at the time, when I would call him, he wouldn't want to talk about his feelings or really anything. All he wanted to talk about was comic books. Now listen, I used to like like me some comic books, like on like a normal person's level that just likes the average Marvel movie. But you know when you know someone who's like into comic books, like into superheroes, watching a Marvel movie with them is like this whole other cinematic experience? That was Elijah. He was really into superhero comics. But I realized I had been so mad at Elijah for not stepping into my world. I had to step into his if I wanted to have a relationship with Elijah, I had to start reading these comic books. So that's what I did. I would drive into San Francisco seven hours. We'd go to a thrift store and look at these vintage comic books. When Marvel started making movies, I would drive in for the premiere. We'd wear our Marvel t-shirts, get a big popcorn, and watch those premieres together. And let's just settle this DC Comics versus Marvel Comics debate right now in church. Is that okay? Let's, let's just talk about this because... The Spirit of God is here. <laughs> DC has better villains. Like the Joker is the best villain of all time. No debate, no debate. But Marvel has better movies. Like what are we supposed to do? Like the Bible doesn't technically say that, but I feel like Jesus would back me up on that. Don't send me hate email, send it to Judd. He'll love it. Send it to Judd. This is where I'm at with movies right now, you guys. 
But I would go in and watch these movies with Elijah, and it was years and years and years of me trying to figure out how he saw the world so I could communicate with him at all. What is our role in our family members and our loved ones and our coworkers' lives when we want to share about Jesus but we don't know where to start? The Bible actually has an interesting name for us. It calls us ambassadors. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we read this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God ambassadors in our modern world typically need to be bilingual. They need to know two languages. If they're going to represent the king or queen or leadership that they're representing to a land that they're traveling to, they need to know the language of the land they're coming from and the language of the land they're going to because the land they're going to might have different wars, a different lens of the world. They go through different things. They talk a different way. And ambassadors typically have to be bilingual. They have to know two different kinds of languages. What does this look like for me and you if we want to be ambassadors for Christ to those who are far from God in our everyday lives? We have to learn two things. Here's the two things that we need to learn. We need to, one, learn the words and ways of those around us. We have to learn the words and ways of those around us. Do we know the lens of the people we're trying to talk about Jesus to? Do we know why our neighbors don't want to go to church? Do we know why our family members don't want to open up about what they're going through? Do we know our baby brother's favorite superhero? Do we know the words and ways of those around us? Because some of us, we can quote scripture to them. We can send them sermon links. We can preach our best sermons at them. But we don't know the questions they're actually asking. So we don't know how to give God's real answers to their real questions. Maybe for some of us, this is a language we need to get a little bit better at. I wonder if for some of us, when we think about being bilingual and representing Christ like an ambassador, I wonder if this is the language we need to get a little bit better at, knowing the words and ways of the people around us. The second thing that we need to learn is the words and ways of God. If we want to be ambassadors for Christ and represent Christ well, we need to know the words and ways of God. Because some of us can hang out with people close to God, far from God. We're a great hang kind of for everybody. But what happens when people ask us questions and we don't know God's answers? We've had the relationship and God has opened the door, but we are not in the word of God and we are not in a church community, so we don't know God's real answers to their real questions. You will know more of the language of God and the words and ways of God when you consistently come around a community of believers, when you consistently are in the word of God yourself, because the great news is that God has real answers to people's real questions and God has real hope for people's real brokenness and God has real healing for people's real hurts. You and I have the opportunity to know what people in our lives are going through, what they're asking, and what God is saying so that we can communicate something very important to the people who so desperately need hope. It was years and years of getting into these superhero comic books with my baby brother when finally I drove into San Francisco and we went to see a San Francisco Giants baseball game. Well, We didn't get into the game. We were broke. But we were outside the stadium with like a little handheld. And we could hear the crowds. It was like being with the bougie people inside of the stadium. And we had chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream in our hands. And we were walking around. And I asked Elijah, Elijah, how do you feel about God? And he finally answered me. And he said, I'm mad. And that was a lot of emotion for Elijah to share. 
And I knew what not to say because I had been so good at the perfect plan of how not to save Elijah. And so I just listened to him. Because up until this point, I had been sending him all these like sermon clips of me. Because I had been a preacher. I was like, watch my sermon, watch my sermon, watch my sermon. And I realized eventually that Elijah didn't need a preacher. He needed a big sister. So I just sat there with him. And we wept together about how sad we both were as our chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream turned into chocolate chip cookie dough milk. And we heard the shouts as the San Francisco Giants won their game. I don't really remember who they were playing, but everyone likes a good ending to a story. So let's just say they beat the Dodgers. Everyone loves beating LA. Let's just say God was glorified, LA lost, okay. I continued having that relationship with my brother for years. And when I met my now husband, Guy, he got into superheroes with us. And it was 11 years later when we invited Elijah over to our house. We opened the door, sat at a table, a lot like Mrs. Lee and my dad. We made an invitation. We had a conversation. And Elijah said to us, 11 years later, okay, I'm ready for the joy you have. I'm ready for the peace you have. I know it's Jesus because I've heard your story a bunch of times. I get it. (laughs) Look, I am who I am. I talk about Jesus a lot consistently. Sometimes I rhyme. It's a whole thing. And I didn't know the perfect words of how to lead Elijah to Jesus. I didn't go to school for this. I'm pretty sure any freshman at any Christian college could tear apart all the words that I said. I'm sure I didn't do it perfectly. Or they could tear apart how long it took me to lead my baby brother to Jesus. But in that moment, I realized it didn't matter. As my baby brother... Elijah gave his life to Jesus, made Jesus his number one, said, I give you my whole life. I turn away from my sin and my regret and my shame, and I'm following Jesus for forever. And it wasn't like the movies. Like, it was kind of strange. Like, after we said amen, it was like, what do we do now? (laughs) What do I do with my hands? Like, do we hug? We're not very affectionate family. Like, we're very Asian. So it's like, oh, do you want some food? So we went and got some food. Look, I know I didn't do it perfectly. If you want a guide of how to perfectly lead all your loved ones to Jesus, I have no idea. But what I do know is that there's people in your life who need to know they're not alone. And why would they believe us that the God we're talking about wants to be with them if we don't even want to be with them? Why would they believe us that the God we're talking about loves them if we don't even love them? God was not mad at us when we were far from him. Instead, he sent Jesus to come be Emmanuel, God with us. With us where we really are. If we want to show God's love to people, many times our greatest witness will be our withness. How can we come and be with people right where they are? How is your withness today with your family? How is your withness today with your coworkers? How is your withness today with your community, with your neighbors, with our church? How is your withness? Talking about Jesus is rarely going to be a perfected spiritual speech that you have ready to go in your pocket. 
It's likely going to be loving people the way that God loved us, being with us exactly where we are. How can we reveal God's love? How can we love people the way God's loved us? We learn in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still broken, while we didn't have all the answers, while we were still trying to figure it out, how can we love people the way that God loves people? How can we love people in the way that God has loved us? Before they love us, we love them. Before they choose us, we choose them. Before they step into our world, we step into theirs. Now, many ways, in many ways, the story of me and my husband getting to lead Elijah to Jesus is a lot like the story of Mrs. Lee and my dad. She made an invitation and had a conversation, but in that moment, my dad changed his whole life around in a second. And sometimes God does it that way. If you're new to this church thing and you've never given your life to Jesus before, I want you to know that Jesus loves you and he so wants a relationship with you. And if you gave your life to him today, he would heal your hurts. He would restore your life. You'll never be the same. And you can have a whole new life with Jesus for forever starting today. Sometimes God does it like that. My dad was proof of that. But sometimes it takes 11 years of fighting for someone who won't fight for you, of praying for someone when you're pretty sure your prayers are going to voicemail and you're not sure if God's hearing you. Sometimes it takes 11 years of a consistent relationship with someone you've decided you're not giving up on. I wanna show you a picture of my baby brother, Elijah, really quick. Can we put up Elijah? That's my baby brother, Elijah. We're rocking our Marvel t-shirts. And uh, we're actually right outside the park that we watched my dad lead so many to Jesus to throughout our childhood. We went back last month and took a picture because Elijah and I have made the decision that we're not going to believe the lie that we have to do something big to do something important because we don't want the enemy to have any victory in our lives. But I want to show you this picture of me and Elijah because I want you to know the truth because I'm so not that spiritual. I want you to know that I almost gave up on Elijah because I was so mad at him for not being as healed as I needed him to be, for taking as long as he was taking, for not being as whole as I needed him to be. I was so mad at Elijah that I almost gave up praying for him. I almost gave up hoping for him. I almost gave up on asking people around me to pray for our relationship too because I was pretty sure there was no way for Elijah to ever know God. If you are fighting for someone you love right now, if there's someone in your family or someone in your community that you have been trying to fight for and love on but you're not sure how to connect with them and you're growing weary and you're growing exhausted and you're growing tired, I wanna leave you with some hope today. I wanna leave you with some hope today. We read in God's word in Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. How can we reveal God's love? Don't give up. Don't give up on people. We need to make invitations and have conversations. We need to learn their words and ways and the words and ways of God, but we also need to know to not give up. I wanna leave you with some hope today. For every person here who is tired and exhausted and weary, I wanna say to you today, don't give up. 
If you're here today and you've been fighting for someone you love for a really long time, don't give up. If you're here today and you've been praying for a situation to change for a really long time, I want to say to you today, don't give up. Don't believe the enemy's lie that your prayers don't matter. Don't believe the enemy's lie that your consistent relationships don't matter. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you're inefficient, not enough, and not doing enough. Those are the lies the enemy wants you to believe so that you don't see the value of the consistent, faithful relationships you're already in. Don't give the enemy any victory. Don't give up. There is hope for your loved ones. There is hope for your family. There is hope for our city. There is hope for every person we know to know how loved they are by God. So this is what I want to do today. Before we all leave, I want to pray for every person in this room who wants to say today, I will not give up. God, don't let me give up. I want to pray for two groups of people. I want to pray for a group of people who saying today, I will not give up on myself. I will not give up on myself and believe the lie that I have to do something impressive to do something impactful. I'm gonna see where I am and the people right in front of me that God has called me to and I am not believing the enemy's lies anymore. I'm not giving up on myself. And then I wanna pray for a second group of people who's saying there's someone I know and someone I love that I am saying I'm not giving up on them. I'm not gonna give up praying for them. I'm not gonna give up being with them. I'm not giving up on people far from God. So as a church family, can we all stand to our feet? Let's all stand to our feet before we head into this next song. And I wanna pray for these two groups of people. I don't know which group you're in, but I wanna pray over you and your relationships right now. So if you're in either one of those groups that are saying, I am not giving up, on the count of three, will you just shoot your hand up in the air and I'm gonna pray for you. One, two, three. Hands in the air for every person who's saying, I'm not giving up, keep your hands up. I see you in the back, keep your hands up. I'm gonna pray over you. God, you see our hands right now that we are people who are saying we are not giving up. This year was hard but it did not take us out this season has been hard but it is not taking us down we are not giving up on those far from God we are not giving up on ourselves and the impact we know you could make through us when we are obedient to you God I pray over broken relationships right now God I pray for broken relationships and families I pray for broken relationships and friendships God I pray for healing where people said there would be no healing I pray for reconciliation where people said there would be no reconciliation I pray for victory in our lives where people said there would be no victory. God, you see our hands up high saying, we will never give up in the name of Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. And amen.